Ahoy, ahoy, you delightful little ragamuffins. I'm John Miller, and this is another Looney Tunes-centric episode of Everybody Trades. And yes, that's right. You're probably wondering, is there something wrong with this guy? Can he talk about anything but cartoons? Well, certainly I can, but you know what? One of the things that makes this show a little bit different is how I play off of pop culture. And quite honestly, you got to do something different to stand out in this crazy new media environment we have in 2019. But more importantly, as I continue to comb through the Looney Tunes archives with my young daughter, well, there was another episode. It was one of my favorite episodes of this classic cartoon that just happened to pop up the other day. And you know what? It played off the theme of my previous episode about roads and eminent domain, that whole theme involving Bugs Bunny. Well, this one just plays off that whole theme just perfectly. So I couldn't resist going back to back with another Looney Tunes-centric episode. But, you know, if you are a connoisseur of that content... You're well aware that this is about wet hair. Yes, as you heard there, Bugs Bunny singing in the shower. Well, his makeshift natural shower, I guess you could say. He's washing himself under a waterfall, a very large, majestic waterfall, in fact. Bugs always has some pretty cool places to put down roots in these episodes, doesn't he? Now, as I pointed out in the previous episode... Let's treat Bugs Bunny for the sake of my argument of this hypothetical, well, not really hypothetical, but just this analogous discussion, whatever I'm trying to say, this simile, this metaphor. You know what? Can we just treat Bugs Bunny like he's a human being for the purposes of this discussion? Because for all intents and purposes, he's a human being. He talks, he sings, as you could hear in the opener of this show. He's got a mailbox, and yes, he's got, he's essentially homesteaded this area. This is Bugs Bunny's property. He uses this, this waterfall as his shower every day. He's got, he's cultivating carrots. This is his property for all intents and purposes. So let's just go with that. Let's treat him like he's another human being. Well, obviously, Bugs scales the mountaintop to the top of his former waterfall to discover. What's the deal? What's happened to my water supply here? Well, it turns out he discovers none other than Black Jacques Chalac. Yes, the dastardly, aggressive Frenchman who, honestly, is in my opinion probably the most underrated character in all of Looney Tunes. But you know what? Before we get there, let's hear the interaction between Bugs and Black Jacques Chalac. And that'll help us explain a lot going forward. What's up, Doc? I have dammed the river. Now the water. She belonged to me. Black Jacques Chalac. 
Um, I don't want to sound naive, uh, Jacques, but what gives you the right to dam up the river? This give me the right. Any objections? Not me, Doc. Um, as long as it's a safe dam. Naturalement. I built him myself. So notice, there's a couple things to point out there. First of all, when Bugs Bunny asks, quite, quite understandably, what gives you the right to dam up the river and deprive me of the water that was essentially formerly his? Well, Jacques then pulls out what is a very large revolver, points it at Bugs Bunny and says, this gives me the right. Have any objections? Well, essentially, this is how the government works, right? Again, this plays off the previous episode. Eminent domain. Perfect. Well, back in 1929, hey, I'm a Missouri resident. If you're listening to this, probably a decent chance you're a Missourian. But, you know, frankly, I have people all over the place. But if you're not aware of the history of the Lake of the Ozarks, well, back in 1929, towards the end of the Roaring Twenties, of course, right before the Depression, the Lake of the Ozarks was established, and it was established by creating Bagnell Dam, a large dam that was made by for hydroelectric purposes. Essentially, the government had a bunch of projects, and this was one of them. They were going to create a hydroelectric power plant by creating, essentially damming up a river, then flooding an area with that dam, which then would create the lake, right? Well, of course, it wasn't as though the water went exactly where these engineers or these government people thought it would. Ultimately, what happened was, depending on which sources you believe, at least as many as eight and possibly as many as 20 different towns were flooded. Lots of property, people's individual property, was destroyed underwater forever, irrevocably. Well, I'm sure that at the time, some of those people were compensated by the government. But how does the government compensate anybody? Again, they're essentially Black Jacques Shalak with the large revolver saying, hey, we got eminent domain. Any objections? And if they give you money, who's to say it's going to be what you would have gotten in a free market scenario? Had you chosen to sell your home, which clearly you had not chosen to sell your home, but say you did, what you have gotten with that price is indeed, what price you would have gotten is indeed totally hypothetical. We won't know until that event happens. And on top of that, what makes it even worse is that who does the government compensate? How does it get money to compensate you? Well, it gets it from your neighbor, essentially, or the person in the next neighborhood down that wasn't flooded. We're supposed to be happy with this scenario, right? It's like, okay, so we rob Peter to pay Paul, and that's supposed to be what we call fairness. That's supposed to be what we call compensation. Now, how does it work in a pub, in a private situation, a private citizen? Well, the government, they're not going to just give you tax money. They're going to take the money from that other party that that violated your property, that did whatever it was that they were not supposed to do. In order to compensate them, they take money from them. That's the point. The two parties who are involved are the ones who are directly going to be paying the costs or receiving the benefits. That doesn't happen 
in any case involving eminent domain, taxation, whatever you want to call it. Now, of course, what the public school textbooks will tell you is that, well, by golly, yeah, there are some people that were probably screwed over. Historically, they'll admit that. There are some people in the Ozarks who had their homes destroyed. They were displaced without their choice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was a really bad outcome for them. But hey, guess what? That's a small amount of people. And overall, most people, well, gosh, we all get to benefit from the Lake of the Ozarks, don't we? We all get this fun lake to play in and go get drunk out on the water and see chicks take their tops off and, you know, all the kind of good family fun you've come to expect from the Lake of the Ozarks. But, of course, that's all well and good. I'm for golf courses and, you know, topless women and everything. But shouldn't the people who actually go to the lake, shouldn't they pay the costs of going to the lake? Or does it just have to be this free public thing that, well, it's not really free because we all pay for it every single day with taxation. Do you think that the Bagnell Dam, do you think that thing stays open for free? And by the way, who gets the power? Who owns the power, the electricity that is generated by Bagnell Dam? Well, I'll tell you, it's a rather large corporation in Missouri called Ameren. They're the ones who have the contract as of this writing. As far as I could tell, back in 2011, the Federal Energy Regulation Commission gave an exclusive lease to Ameren. Well, again, this is essentially Black Jacques Shalak stealing water property from people who live downriver. Him deciding with the butt of his gun, essentially, if anybody has any objections, well, here's here's the revolver in your face. Here's my forty five. That's how is that any different than what the government's done here? What the what the feds have done the state of Missouri, whoever it might be who's in charge in terms of all the layers of authority, but certainly the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, well, they're the ones who are in charge. The federal government is essentially saying, we have the energy, but even though we're not going to directly own it, if we're the ones who are leasing it out to this so-called private company, well, that's an unnatural amount of power that no, no private person wields whatsoever. And again, we're supposed to say, Oh, gee, great. Since overall, most people, 99% of people, we supposedly benefit from this, then, gosh, I guess we're all just supposed to meekly accept the outcome and just accept that, well, you know what? While there's probably some people who through just government power, eminent domain, that type deal, sure, there are going to be some losers, but I'm supposed to be comforted by the numbers. The fact that that won't be me. When they came for my river, I said nothing, (laughs) to use an old saw. But ultimately, the reason I really enjoyed this episode as a kid, not only because Black Jacques Shalak is such a phenomenal character with just crazy, just a crazy caricature of a Frenchman that I, frankly, as a young man, found delightful with, well, lines like this, quite honestly. (laughs) <laughs> this rabbit is sick. Sick, 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 I tell you. For some reason, him saying bugs is sick, sick, sick. Well, that that's really stuck in my brain forever and ever and has frankly colored 
the way I've thought about fringe people for my entire life. No, that's that's actually a joke. But for real, that that was def. Anytime I do a fringe guy, silly fringe impression, it's always essentially me just doing black Jacques Chalac. But I digress. The the reason I really wanted to bring this episode to your attention, and also the previous one, which was really about highway building, the interstate highway system, is that, believe it or not, despite what you might be told in your public high school history books, that type of deal, these giant public works projects were not universally popular when they were being decided upon. Because not only was there huge tax implications, there was actual real property implications for real living human beings who had spent their entire lives building up their homes, their property, etc., etc. The thing that all of us do, well, somehow the government decided in its ultimate elitism, and they're really what I would call, and many have called their fatal conceit, that they know better, that they know better than the rest of us, that they know better than the individual. Well, I'm sorry, there's just not a lot of historical evidence and backing to say that that particular piece of information, that idea, that notion is true. There really isn't. Have you ever, again, I say this a lot, but it's worth repeating. Have any of you ever had a boss or somebody who is even higher up than your boss, your boss's boss, who was telling you something, who was telling you the way the company works, the way the world works, the way your job is supposed to work, and it's just something you know for a fact is not true. You know it's something that is unrealistic, something that can't happen. It may even be something that's totally counterproductive. But your boss, based on him having a spreadsheet, having a big a big office in the corner, having a false sense of entitlement, of intelligence, of frankly knowledge that he doesn't possess, that he's not able to possess because those most of us, no, all of us, all of us are of limited capacity. We can't know everything. We can't be in all the places at all the times. So therefore, in fact, some people call it the man on the street. Well, often the man on the street, the guy who's actually in there, in the trenches, the guy or the gal every single day, they're actually going to know something that the person who's been to Wharton Business School with their fancy MBA and maybe a twice the IQ, they may quite possibly be a much more highly intelligent human being, that doesn't mean that they have the same knowledge that you do, right? So if that's the case, why is it that we trust people to essentially destroy our property with these imminent domain laws, even with taxation to a much lesser extent. Where is this? Where's the evidence that these people know better? See, I just don't buy into that. And this idea that, well, we needed the Lake of the Ozarks, we needed the interstate highway system, I say nonsense. I say if those things were truly necessary, if that's truly what people wanted in that area, all of them together, well, then those people would have agreed to it. They would have. The market would have taken care of that. And if there's one person who happens to live in the middle of your 
of your lake that you think is going to form, you can. You, there's only one person who's a holdout. There's only one person saying, no, I don't want you to build this lake. And you need their little shack or whatever to be moved. We'll negotiate with them. Figure it out. Be smarter. That's what it ultimately is. Your lack of imagination, your lack of intelligence as a CEO of a company, of the CEO of Ameren, or the head of the Federal Energy Regulation Commission, whatever it is, if you can't figure out how to make your grand, brilliant, supposedly profitable plan come to fruition without destroying somebody's shack, well, that means you've got a bad plan. I got news for you. Come up with something better. Because you don't just get to say, ah, screw you and your plans and your rights and your life, quite honestly, because your life isn't worth what mine is. I'm smarter than you, so go to hell. That's the ultimate elitism. That's the most elitist thing I've ever heard. It really is. Just that whole, that whole concept, that whole idea, it really sickens me on a really visceral level. And I hope all of you, if you'll take anything away from this episode, stop assuming that the experts, the so-called experts, know everything. Listen, I'm not a type of person that says everybody's equal and we're all the same and yada, yada, yada. Obviously, some of us are way smarter, way more capable than others. But that doesn't make us deities. That doesn't make us capable of knowing everything and being clairvoyant and being all places at all times and capable of ingesting all the information in the world. It just doesn't work that way. Actually, all of us individually working together with our own property, our own decisions, and our own equal rights. Yes, they have to be equal. If I have my my right to property, then you have your right to property. That doesn't mean you get to go upriver, cut off my water supply by building a dam without my permission. That's not how life's supposed to work. Honestly, there's only one word for that type of behavior, and it's wrong. So with that thought, I'm going to get on out of here. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Everybody Trades. I've certainly enjoyed doing it, and I certainly appreciate your listenership oh so very much. So I will see you all next week. Until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Everybody Trades.